You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, we have our very first Iditarod Trail sled dog race finisher. That's right. At least it's the first one that I know of. So anyway, uh, Carl Clausen is joining me on the Better Man Podcast today. If you live in Chicagoland right now, then you probably know Carl. He's the host of the morning show up there on WMBI 90.1 FM. If you don't know Carl, you're going to get to know him today. He's the author of a new book that we talk about called The Seven Resolutions Where Self-Help Ends and God's Power begins. He's clear, he's engaging, he's helpful. So enjoy getting to know my new friend, Carl Clausen. Well, Carl, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Good to have you here today. It is great to be with you, Adam. Thank you for the time here, my man. What I'd love to do today is talk to you about your new book, The Seven Resolutions. Um, And I'll just jump right into it because this book is kind of uh, talking a little bit about the self-help movement and trying to fight some of that movement that's out there that is continuously creeping in to followers of Jesus and just the church. And so what do you find to be the strongest weapon against uh, this whole self-help right now? Well, first, self-help in itself is not the problem. As a matter of fact, I think people that are pursuing the kind of self-help angle with life, I think they mean really well. They want to see some improvement in their life. They identify some deficits. They want to see some improvements. The problem is, especially as Christ followers, Every time we try to bootstrap life change in our strength, in our power, it always comes up empty, Adam, always comes up empty. So the goal with the seven resolutions is to put in place agreements with God that are going to keep us at a posture where God's power can flow in and through us. And one of my premises about the spiritual life is that we trust God for salvation. We come to a point of brokenness. God calls us out of that place of need, transforms our life. And then, especially here in the West, we think, now I need to get up and go. I've got to show my appreciation to God, or we fall back into a Western mindset of self-help and bootstrapping it. And therein lies the problem. We leave ourselves with this big gap between the life that we're living and the promises of God. And My goal is to close that gap and to watch God glorified in our lives and actual life change occurring. That's my hope. Yeah. Now, when you do, when you talk about this with other men or women and talk about this, uh, this self-help and, you know, maybe casting some light on it, that's a little bit skeptical with it a little bit, or just maybe talking about it a little bit more. Are you getting some funny looks? Are people defensive or are they, are they open to what you're saying? What, what are some of the reactions? Well, the stats are that within two weeks after every resolution is set on a new year, 85% of the people have already failed. So I know, I think they know there's something inherently wrong with self-help. So when they uh, consider God's power, they're like, okay, what can God's power truly do in my life, his grace, that self-help can never do? That's where we catch them, and that's where we see life really changed. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I appreciate, uh, Carl, is just how open you are with your story. Uh, you're very open about your marriage and some struggles that you've had there and, and drug addiction, your struggle with drugs. And so uh, what allows you to do that, to be able to share so openly? That's a great question. You know, God saved me in total authenticity. 
he caught me at the end of myself. I often tell people as a pastor, I say, you know, people will come up to me at the end of a service or something. They'll say, Pastor Carl, I'm hurting. I, I, I feel like I'm at the bottom. I don't know where to go. And I look at them and I get a wry smile. And I say, you know, you're strategically positioned right now, maybe the best time in your life to watch God do something truly amazing. And I really mean that because when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, his opening words in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Therein lies the secret of the abundant life. It's not just finding God there in that place of spiritual bankruptcy, but constantly realizing I've got to stay there. I've got to stay there. And when we live like that, everything can change. And I mean, I don't know about you with your story, and uh, but I know with mine that uh, when I'm feeling that sense of bankruptcy, uh, if I have some, uh, you know, some damage in my relationships that are around me, or if I've done something that I'm ashamed of, then it's pretty easy to feel that sense of bankruptcy and that I got to come to Jesus so needy. It's when I can start to string together a few good days, right? Like maybe I'm repenting of some sin on a regular basis, or I, I'm developing some better habits. That's when I start to forget how bankrupt I am. Do you have the same experience? Oh, I think there's a constant toggling, especially with uh, guys that want their life to count for something that we toggle between utter dependency and then the self-led life, self-will, self-effort, self-help. And I think toggling between that is real. My hope is to uh, eliminate those episodes, reduce the episodes when we go into our own strength and then continue to walk in the strength of God. Uh, the book of Galatians is committed to helping men and women alike to realize that walking in the flesh, which all that means in the original language is walking in our own strength, our own steam. There is a hopelessness there. In fact, Paul says, who has bewitched you? That that you began in the spirit, why are you working out in the flesh? And it's a rhetorical question. And the answer is, it's crazy because it doesn't work. We've got to live and walk in the power of the Spirit. Do you have any clues for you, like anything that as you're going along, that are just indicators in your own life that I might be walking more self-directed right now than I am Spirit-led? I think for me, one of the greatest indicators is that I have ceased to have a conversation with God, being truly led by the Spirit, and I begin to just have a conversation with myself. Even uh, uh, this last week, as I was pulling into my garage, I knew that I was walking in uh, to my bride after a long day. And I just stopped and I gathered myself for a moment. And I said, Lord, would you allow me in this moment to walk in, see my bride, bride of 34 years, I call her my bride, and to relate to her in the power of the Spirit. And a lot of people say, well, what is that? And really what that is, is allowing ourselves to rise above what is earthly and fleshly and our own reasoning and to tap into the wisdom and the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been neglected in the church today for a lot of different reasons. I think there's a lot of abuses. If you watch late night TV, you see the Holy Spirit abused lots. In the name of the Holy Spirit, people are asked to give a hundred and they'll get back a grand, right? But the power of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth. And I believe he, he is here right now listening to us and he is the neglected wing of the Holy Trinity. He's the neglected wing. And so my hope is to draw people back into an ever-present awareness that the Spirit of God is here, and He's guiding and directing our lives, Adam. And, you know, there's something powerful about that, just even that recentering, uh, you know, if I can use that word for a moment, as you're getting ready to walk into the house, of just going, I've got two choices when I walk in this house, right? Like I And, and the choice is going to be pretty subtle. Uh, I can go and be 
uh, selfish. I can be frustrated. I can be short tempered. I can be moody. I can be down. I can be tired. Or there's another one where I could I could be spirit led, uh, pursue my wife, pay attention to her, ask her questions. You know all that. I you know it's really funny that you mentioned that that little centering prayer there because uh, that was my morning <laughs> this morning. Candidly, uh, it was amazing because uh, I'm sitting there getting ready and I, I hear this alarm going off outside that I've never heard before. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, right? And it keeps going and keeps going. So I finish get ready, getting ready and I'm walking down the hallway and my, my wife comes down the hallway and she looks flustered and she says, the gate is stuck and that alarm will not stop going off. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I didn't install this gate. I didn't even know this gate had an alarm. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Carl, I know you and I just met, but I am not a handyman. Okay. So anything that involves a tool or something broken, I feel suddenly very spiritually bankrupt in that moment. But there was a moment there where I was like, there's two ways to handle this. Lord, I could I could start cussing and getting frustrated and woe is me and this thing, the house always breaks. You know, I could go there where we could take a deep breath, Lord, and let's just see how we can figure this out. And uh, and it was just that subtle little change that led to me getting through that moment. I learned I learned a new thing about my house, and I didn't have to ask anybody's forgiveness when I was done. Right, but it's so subtle, right there at the end. And that is the issue. It's that subtle little high ridge that we need to climb up on and live in utter dependence on God. I like that. Well, let's keep moving here because there's a couple other questions I want to ask you, especially about uh, your book here. So in the book, you mentioned about uh, you know several systems that will cause us to leak. In your opinion, what are maybe one or two that are very common to men? Uh, one, you know, what are one or two of these systems that, that you know, in your experience, you see cause men to leak? I think the biggest resolution that has received the biggest, uh, oh, the most significant response uh, in a really positive way, even Robert Lewis, who endorsed the book, and he's a dear friend of mine. I was mentored by him for five years. He said this single resolution alone is the single most important chapter in this book, and it's killing sin. The reason I use the term kill sin is because biblically, that's what we're called to do. The problem is we manage sin, we deflect sin, we excuse sin, we rationalize it, we we kind of uh, consider ourselves unable to get victory over it. So we push it into the shadows and we kind of consider, well, if I get 80%, 90% of my life squared away, uh, that's going to have to be good enough. I want us to be so bold as dare to believe that God can give us victory over no matter what the sin is that we have. And it requires a few different things that I see over and over in scripture. So I, I think if if you're going to kill sin, first off, you got to get a good hate for it. A lot of people say, is hate a virtue? It's a huge virtue. God hates things. And I think we got to muster a good, healthy hate for things that are leading us astray. Any kind of substitute, God's substance, pornography, you name it, whatever is getting in the way of our intimacy with God and others, we got to deal with it. And in this chapter, I, this is this is so important. It's a little three-step boogie here is what I call it. And number one, you got to expose it. We find this in James 5, that if you've got sin in your life, bring it to other people. In 1 John, we see bring it to God. Why? Because sin that is allowed to sit in the shadows is just going to feed on you. It's going to eat your lunch morning, noon, and night. If you can bring it into the light of confession, both to God and friends, look out. The other one is you got to attack it. Jesus said these words. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. 
Now, that sounds radical, but all Jesus is saying there is take extreme measures to kill what is killing you. So we expose it, we attack it, and then my favorite part is overwhelm it. There is one key verse in Galatians that gives us insight into how to deal with sin. And this is not only a great attack approach, it's a great lifestyle approach that if you can live here, well, the promise is true. It's in one verse. It's in Galatians 5.16. I love this. But I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, that's a huge promise. What, he's, what Paul's saying here is all fleshly desires will have no room to run in your life if you overwhelm it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I've, I've said this so many times but it's so true. If our if our day if a day in our life is a fifty five gallon drum, we've got choices about what we can pour into that day. And if we choose to tap into the grace of God, which is not only for saving us but for training us, according to Titus two eleven and twelve, if we can tap into that grace and pour that into our life bucket, that fifty five gallon drum. Here's what I know to be true. If we can put in 55 gallons of Holy Spirit filling, there won't be room for a thimble of flesh. And what Paul says is that will give you victory. And my hope and prayer is that guys and women, but predominantly guys on this issue of kill sin, is don't let pride prevail. Don't let it stay in the shadows. Drag it into the light. Don't try to manage it on your own. And then take extreme measures. I've helped men turn smartphones into dumb phones by going into the settings. Uh, you know, you go to the general wheel settings and you go in there into screen, screen time. You can share a passcode or you can hide a passcode where only the other person knows. And you can turn a smartphone with ready access to all kinds of compromising material into a dumb phone. Boom, that quick. So that's that. But then constantly be filled with the spirit. It's doable, Adam. It really is. And I think you hit on the right word as you were talking through that with this idea of kill sin. And I'm going, well, what other word do we use? Or what what word is maybe the most uh, pervasive in the church? And, and you hit right on it. It's manage, right? Uh, oftentimes, I think we're taking the approach of let's just try to, to manage this situation right now. And let's just try to keep, you know, have a little, you know, a few more good days than we do bad days. Where do you think that mindset comes from where we approach sin, not with a hatred? I like the way you're talking about that as a, as a virtue in that situation. Anything that gets in the way of my relationship with God, there is a holy hate to have for that. Uh, so why do, we, why do we not have that attitude, but more of the, I'm just trying to manage things right now. Why do you think it's easier to, to adopt that manage attitude? Well, I, I think we've put it the onus on ourselves to eradicate sin. We've not trusted God. And then we've been afraid of what would happen if we came out and shared it with people. Would they, would they bury us with shame? Uh, would they uh, discount us? Would they disinvite us from friendship? I think there's a lot of fears that come with that. Ironically, every time I've come clean with sin in my life, there's an incredible release. That threshold of stepping from the management of sin, though, across that threshold into the grace and power of God that's that's where you're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not even your strength to get across that threshold. But when we do, I mean, look out. That's where everything changes. I, I've got to I've got to go back though to um, this. This to me is the one thing that's missing in the church, especially in the West. 
I think the underground church in China and Iran, Iraq, in the 1040 window, I think that by virtue of the pain that they live in every day, they can't afford to live in the shadows, so they bring it out more. But look at what we find. This is Titus 2. This is amazing. For the grace of God, grace, uh, the seminary definition is unmerited favor, but that won't get you bent down the block. The real definition is God's power to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. So for the grace of God, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, it doesn't have a period there. That's a comma. This is the best passage on how to get your life on a trajectory with Jesus that is strong, right here. Training us, it's still talking about the grace of God, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Adam, this fires me up because I think we talk in the church. It comes back to the root problem we started with here. We trust God for saving grace, but we trust ourselves for training. But according to this passage, there is training grace and that same grace is saving grace, but that same grace is training grace. But we go back to bootstrapping it, thinking we can somehow with our ingenuity, our degrees and our hard work, get ourselves out of pickles that we find ourselves in. And God is clear, that is not possible. It's impossible. And you mentioned shame too, because if I think of my own life, I think sometimes in in adopting more of a management mindset than a killing mindset, uh, it's I don't want to feel ashamed for constantly falling short, right? And so it's maybe not I'm fearing that my wife is going to reject me or my friends are going to reject me. It's just I want to feel like a success and not a failure in life, right? Just to just to maintain some good self-esteem or self-motivation. Uh, and so I think that shame can be so pervasive, especially in the life of a man, you know, which which I've heard somebody say that that is the probably the the predominant negative emotion that a man feels is shame. And we just know how toxic that can be because it it caught like it's an intolerable emotion, right? You can't if you're feeling it as a man, especially, you either are going to react against it or you're just going to give up in depression, right? And just just say, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I can't handle this anymore. But sometimes that bar, like it just feels like, golly, like never do that again. Well, if that's if that's where it is, then I'm going to I, maybe I'll lower that. Maybe it's just like not on Tuesdays. I'll try to do that or whatever it is, you know, just try to manage it a little bit. Do, do you do you uh, track with that or identify with that? Yes, as a matter of fact, um, I've got a friend that wrote a book. Um, he's one of the leading um, he's one of the leading research scientists. He's a psychiatrist actually in the Bahamas. He's an amazing man. He wrote a book called Shame the Human Nemesis. And when I read it, I thought, wow. And this was his contention. His contention is that most addictions revolve around shame. But here's the bummer. We think we have too much shame to risk by exposing this stuff. But what's really true is that we are debilitated currently because of the shame of lack of victory. And that's the beast that needs to be broken. And that can only be done in the power of God. Yeah. And that's where the gospel truly starts to look like good news, right? When we understand that it's not about what we do, it's about what he did. And um, and so, yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that. All right. Well, let, let's keep moving. I mean, I could, we could, we could hang out there and just talk about shame all day. Uh, that's such an important topic. Uh, but let's move forward now and just talk about friendships, uh, because I think that's such an important part of this journey that we're all on with God right now. And so, uh, you in the book talk about the value of friends, 
uh, brag on some people right now. Who are some of the friends that you've had in your life that have had a huge impact, especially on you, when it comes to your walk with Jesus? Without a doubt, my the best friend that I've ever had in my life that's impacted me radically is my bride. Um, I When I have the courage in the spirit to ask my wife permission to speak freely into my life, it's a beautiful thing. The best sermon critiquer I ever had in my life is my bride. My best strategist critiquer that I've ever had in my life is my bride. So we can, uh, men who have the benefit of being married, have the benefit of having a friend who is truly a friend that will that will pick you up when you are down and love you enough to tell you the truth. Beyond that, I've had some great mentors in my life. I think one of the best truth tellers and one of the most hard hitting, uh, it's kind of like, uh, what's the old term? It's a velvet covered brick. Robert Lewis has been great for me in that. The five years I had with him, he was actually developing a little thing called men's fraternity. So the first year I met Robert and became a good friend with him is when the first year he was rolling out that that life transformation material. But he loved me enough to tell me the truth. He would look me in the eyes and tell me the truth. And even the toughest stuff came across with power because I knew he would love me through it. Uh, I've got other friends here right now. I'm my right-hand man in church ministry. He's a young man, but he's a good man. And he loves me enough to tell me the truth still and uh, sharpen me. And I've gained from it immensely. I've got some elders that are good friends, not just yes men, but men that will challenge my thinking and sharpen me. But here again, uh, you will never have the kind of friends you need that can really lift you up. You might have friends that have the capacity to lift you up, but until you grant them permission to be that friend that you desperately need, you're still going to be alone, even though you're around a lot of people. You know, Carl, part of my story, I became a follower of Jesus in college. It was right before my 21st birthday. And probably about three or four years into following Jesus, if I was going to look back on some of the changes that God was doing in my life, I think the friendships was the most significant and noticeable change that I had. And and specifically, it was the quality and the depth, right? And and a few years later, I heard a friend of mine say that the, uh, the quality and depth of a friendship is really determined by the value of the shared object. So what, what do you and the other person have in common, that shared object is really what's going to determine the quality and the depth of that friendship. And so up to that point in my life, the shared object was sports or drinking or the fraternity or accounting homework or whatever it was, right? It was just all these, these things that were fine, but none of them had obviously the infinite value that Jesus has. And so now when I'm starting to develop these friendships and Jesus is our shared object, it's, uh, and that's weird to talk about him that way, but I think you understand what I mean. He, he is what we have in common, the depth that was there was so different and it would just completely transform the way I thought about friends. It wasn't just guys to sit around and laugh with, although there was a lot of that. This was, this was now not just joy and laughter, but there was this real prodding in all the right ways, prodding one another along, uh, just running after Jesus together. And it was such a profound impact, uh, on my life. And it sounds like in yours as well. Yeah, and I, I'm going to raise the bar to what you just said. Oftentimes in the church, I'm doing air quotes right now, in America, we 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 sometimes even preach this. You know, you got to find people. We may not be this explicit, but we say you got to find people who essentially go to church and are plugged in. I, I'm going to raise the stakes here, though, 
Because according to Matthew 7, Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And he says, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I never knew you. Now, what's amazing about these people is that they preached in his name, they cast out demons in his name, and they did mighty works in his name. So these were spiritually active people, but these were not actively spiritual people. That's a big difference. You can be spiritually active, but not actively spiritual. And when I'd say actively spiritual, one of the common themes that I mentioned over and over again, not only in the seven resolutions, but in life and preaching, this somehow works its way into every message I give now, is the, the ability that we have to choose humility at any given moment is profound. Andrew Murray in his book, Humility, said, humility is the one virtue that gives birth to every other virtue. And if we can learn to humble ourselves and then find friends that are humble. Don't just find a friend that goes to church. Find a friend that when you get on that elevator in relationship with him, he's going to take you up, not take you down. That's the bottom line. That's really, really good. Okay, last question. Uh, you have a, 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 you know, a section that is kind of provocative and it just says, stop setting goals. Uh, so why don't you talk about that a little bit? What, what do you mean by that? Because uh, there's probably a lot of my CPA friends like myself <laughs> that love to set goals that are going, uh-oh, uh-oh, you got to talk about that. What do you mean? Yeah. But, okay. So let me go back to the beginning and, and the whole premise for what I wrote about here. And it's so important. The goal is to not set goals. The goal is to have life systems that are so well organized that as you live out of healthy systems, you're going far beyond any goals and any any goals that are set any trajectory that those could take you on, your life systems can take you further. So let me illustrate it. This is Jeremiah 2. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, and we can do it today, guys. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, that's one, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I take this word cisterns from Jeremiah's admonition, and it is absolutely related to the broken systems that we carve out for ourselves. We carve out lives for ourselves that can't hold water. And so the goal here is to not set goals. It's to create a healthy, integrated life that has healthy systems. I'm joining God. I'm thinking truth. I'm killing sin. I'm taking risk. I'm choosing friends. I'm focusing my effort and I'm redeeming time all according to the book that as you do that, as you create healthy systems and you make choices within those systems, that'll far exceed goals. Goals are very tough to reach, but having an integrated lifestyle that is wholly submitted to God is a lifestyle that can far exceed any meager goals we might set. And I mean that in every way, not just ministry, but in financial management, in people management and beyond. It can take us where no goal can take us. Brother, that was good. I'm going to end right there. That was a fantastic way <laughs> to wrap up uh, this conversation. That was a great answer. Carl, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for jumping on the Better Man podcast today with us. Carl, thank you so much. Uh, between your radio program and your church, I know you have a lot going on, and so I really do appreciate you coming on the Better Man podcast today and hanging out for a little bit. Anybody listening, if you want to track with Carl or get to know more about him, you can go visit his website. That's K-A-R-L 
C-L-A-U-S-O-N.com, CarlClausen.com. I'll put a link in the show description so you can go and check that out. His book can be found at Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books as well. And if you're looking for practical ways that you can live out some of the principles that Carl and I were talking about today, then I really do think that the Better Man 11-week experience would be great for you. Go to betterman.com to learn more information about that. Today's episode, like all of our episodes, was mixed and edited by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we've got for today on the Better Man podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.